0: This week on Life in Digital, I'm joined by Lisa Target, UK General Manager at Tribe. We focused in on the rise of influencer marketing and the need for purpose to be built into brand and creator campaigns. Lisa also shared the ways in which the team at Tribe have been able to stay connected, albeit across multiple time zones and while still working remotely. We spoke about the importance of wellbeing and gratitude, even in the face of a pandemic. A huge thank you to Lisa, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Life in Digital.
1: Thank you for having me involved. My name's Lisa. I'm the UK General Manager at Tribe, and for those of you who don't know Tribe, it's one of those companies that have a very generic name. You think you might have heard it's a protein bar or (laughs) <laughs> um whatever else, there's a million different tribe variants out there and um, but we are an influence marketplace we started i guess in 2015 so about five mm. years ago four and a half years ago really starting to understand that the the power of influence marketing in terms of peer-to-peer recommendations about brands and and the impact that that was having for brands on social media because essentially mm. it's you know, a social currency exchange, an opinion, a recommendation that just fit the channel, um, and was doing a you know a great deal more for brands than than traditional advertising was on, on social itself. But I guess what we saw about five years ago was all of the money was going to top talent, you know, YouTubers and people who had millions of followers, um, and brands didn't have a lot of time to kind of go back and forth with different creators on those partnerships. So we created a platform that really enabled brands to work with creators at scale. So in the same time, it would take a brand to typically, you know, liaise and negotiate with one creator. They could all of a sudden work with 20 or 30 or hundred. And what that did was essentially really open up the, the talent pool that brands were able to work with. And it also meant that you didn't have to work with creators who had a million plus followers to get that social reach, all of a sudden you could work with loads who had less followers. And those who had smaller followings had far more engaged audiences. So we kind of flipped the model and we started working with micro-influencers at scale. And that's evolved a couple of times in these five years, you know, we move as fast as Instagram does, you know, and what it's really provided brands is essentially an avenue to work directly with their most influential customers
0: to create mm-hmm.
1: instant branded content. And whether whether that's a recommendation to their audience or it's an amazing piece of branded content that they can use as creative in advertising, um, we provide brands access to, to those customer groups for them who have the, the tech and the talent to create yeah. some amazing advertising campaigns. So that's what we do in a nutshell. And I personally came to Find Tribe uh, three years ago Um, With a background in digital advertising, uh, working for publishers always, so starting my career at the Telegraph and I moved to Microsoft in Australia um, in a joint venture with Channel 9 and The Daily Mail in Australia. Came back over here to work with MailOnline and when Tribe launched here, um, really couldn't resist the opportunity to start to niche out my career into what would be a really fast growing, high paced, very unpredictable space. You know it doesn't have a blueprint, it was a new channel, and I saw firsthand the impact it was having for brands. So yeah, grab the opportunity and have a look back.
0: And how has Tribe evolved since you joined three years ago? What what was it like when you first got there and what's it like now?
1: Yeah, I mean, as with any kind of nascent media channel, there's a load of education that needs to go on, and we really the thing I liked about Tribe is we, we're not an agency. We are a, a true self-serve marketplace platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, various, we, we operate and we KPI and benchmark ourselves and we build in the same way that, you know, an Uber or an Airbnb would. And mm-hmm. what means to be a marketplace is to really fairly and even-handedly represent both sides of your platform. So the supply and the demand, the demand being brands who need to find influencers and influencers mm-hmm. who need to find brands that they want to work with. And so we can constantly work in a world where we're trying to match interests and matching interests in a world where everyone's learning and everyone's pretty much an amateur, you know, mm-hmm. these are creators who have p- between three and a hundred thousand followers typically um, who obviously are dedicating their time and craft to be full-time creators and want to uh, build an audience on Instagram and find a way to integrate brands and sponsored uh, work into that, feed of content that they're creating for their audience Um, so a lot of education has to happen with those creators who are maybe partnering with the brand for the first time and then on the other side there's been a huge amount of education required for brands who have never worked you know sort of for a quote-unquote advertising product that is actually a real human you know it's it's an evolution of native advertising um, but it's a customer it's not a journalist it's not someone who's got Um, a background in working with brands and advertisers it's definitely not a standardized way of buying advertising as well for brands you know every creator you work with is different Um, the impact will look different the platforms are all different so we really kind of honed in on Instagram because we saw that's where brands were getting the best return for their investment Mm -hmm. and yes slowly we've built up a a creative community of 65,000 creators Wow. Um, in the time in 3 years we've we've had something over a million pieces of branded content flow through our marketplace and um you know we've worked with something like i think it's something like 13,000 different brands now who have actively been trying to to collaborate with their most influential customers so it's it's changed a lot you know it's gone from what is an influencer to hold on what's the paid partnerships tag what's regulation look like in this space you know two years ago we were talking a lot about influencer fraud we're now talking about social commerce and we're talking about you know what's the impact that tiktok is having as they enter the creator space the social media space and you know of course naturally the influence marketing space
0: As you mentioned, a lot has changed in influencer marketing. Um, Just in case anybody doesn't know, can you talk us through a little bit about what it is and also how the brands will give the briefs to the creators, kind of how that transaction works? Yeah.
1: So like I said, traditionally it was, you know, it was something that brands wanted to do with celebrities and kind of top tier talent. You know, footballers and reality stars who had... Mm -hmm you know, quickly grown social audiences and had created these communities online. And then, like I said, as the, as the tech advanced and, and brands could could work, not just one-to-one with, you know, one or two creators that have millions of followers, but all of a sudden two or 300, you know, a lot of it um, was was answering the challenge of scale. And so for a brand, I'll give you an example with, that we work with quite frequently. A brand like Waitrose and when working with say one creator or even one type of media they would have to be really solid on what their messaging said and how it could appeal to the broadest audience possible but what influence marketing does especially at scale is now give waitrose say 100 different creative variants and 100 different audiences to work with and influence marketing does a fantastic job of a creator essentially saying one, I'd love to work with Waitrose because I'm a Waitrose customer. Two, if I did work with Waitrose in a sponsored way, it would work for my audience because my audience um, would really resonate with that content. And that's why I'm putting my hand up and saying, I would like to work with Waitrose. And that might be because they their channel is all about being a parent um Mm -hmm. and you know their family life and it's all about kind of cooking for a family it might be a mom who's got a celiac for a child it might be a vegan couple it might be you know whatever and all of a sudden when you've got a real breadth and diversity of customers coming to Waitrose saying this is how i want to interpret your campaign and the messaging that's key for you to get out to communities at the moment it means that Waitrose don't just have to say there's a Valentine's Day offer. Instead, yeah. they get to represent Valentine's Day for what it means to their customers in all different shapes and sizes, which could be mm. families, you know, you know, a couple who get to kind of run away from the kids for a night. It could be, like I said, how you celebrate with your with your girls, um, you know, because maybe the there's love lost or Um, Love to be gained or maybe it's like, you know, a vegan couple and it's and it's celebrating the variety of ranges that Waitrose also have kind of within one cultural moment. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's why Influence marketing resonates so heavily with audiences. You know, Instagram is an opt-in channel I choose to follow people because I like their visual aesthetic and essentially as long as the advertising or the sponsor partnership fits the natural authentic tone from that creator and the recommendation feels native to that channel. It has an incredible impact because yeah. you trust these people. You build relationships with who you follow. Otherwise, you wouldn't be following them. And and that's the thing: the creator always gets immediate feedback. If, if piece of sponsored content doesn't work, you know they they are losing followers because of it. And so it kind of self polices as this system where the advertising only really fits when it is authentic and um, and meaningful as an exchange between a brand, a creator, and their audience, um, which is a very unique proposition in in advertising
0: in general. And something that we've been speaking about on the podcast is authenticity and purpose with brands. But it sounds like it's twofold. It's, yes, that's that's definitely what the brands are being held accountable to, but also the creators. And so there has to be this, this marriage almost of the two I mean, we're going through a pandemic at the moment, loads of things have been thrown up in the air, uh, a lot of change has happened. How has that tied in with the purpose of these brands and, and how they've had to respond in these times and who they've decided to partner with?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think when when it started, I think we can all say, we probably watched a bit more TV because we're all, you know, more yeah. homebodies. <laughs> and I, I definitely saw more TV advertising than I'd been exposed to for years. And very quickly, all the ads look the same. We're mm-hmm. here for you. We're open. We're here to help, you know. Um, and there's been mock-ups of, of, of how many ads pretty much look in the same way and say the same thing for every brand. And that's because the production cycle of reacting, uh, cr- you know, producing a, a TVC, you know, most of that was done from stock footage because, of course, in lockdown, people couldn't get to sets and create mm-hmm. original content. So we had pieced together stock footage with very broad strokes, kind of brand messaging um, to kind of say something to the customer. And when you're, in a, when you're locked in a kind of production cycle of a few weeks or you're limited with production capabilities like we saw in the, in the uh, lockdown, um, you are very limited in what you, what you can produce and also how you can go to market with that messaging. But the great thing about working with everyday people Um, And and them kind of being your your mouthpiece, you know, they're your sales team. They can also be your creative team. We saw a lot of brands being able to represent the true customer experience of what was going on in real time. Mm. Um, Most of our briefs that we see on on our platform get a response from creators within, um, I guess, I think it's 25% get a response in the first 15 minutes. And Mm. most of them complete within 48 hours. And so when you've got a scaled community of real advocates and real customers, they can—they often will have your product in the fridge or, um, you know, it will be part of their grocery list or it's a product they own and love. And you can immediately see how that product or that brand had a shifted experience in lockdown. Mm-hmm. So a great example is like um, Logitech who own Yui Boom. You know, mm-hmm. they do so many campaigns around how the speaker is portable it's got long battery life it's great for travel and having parties with your mates and you see that move from a travel um communication to in the park or at home workouts or you know having little lock lock, you know lockdown parties um and it meant the same product the same brand advocates were having a shifted experience um, Hawaiian Tropic did a tanning in the backyard campaign, you know, making a holiday at home. Ala Protein were doing a campaign around, you know, on the go gym snacks between uh, gym class and work. And all of a sudden it mm-hmm. turned to, well, when you don't have to have it on the go, this is an amazing um, add in to a smoothie. And now we get to enjoy taking the time to make something a little bit special, you know, because we're not rushing. And a lot of brands are very quick to react. And I think the, the cool thing with working to creators isn't with creators is not just getting that kind of real time um result because they can produce content for you and, and they're not restricted but you also get customer feedback directly into your creative you know ala protein said you know we still um want to create content with people who are health and fitness oriented who love our product and they left it up to that community to say, well, I'm actually putting in my smoothie now and I'm doing at home workouts and I'm doing X, Y and Z to keep myself fit and sane. And they kind of, you know, it's almost like the brand starts the beat and, and the creators kind of finish off that piece of music and come in, it's a little bit like jazz in that way. And I think it's a, it's just a nice collaboration and, and again, yeah. it resonates more because of that, because it's, you know, you, you're obviously following someone like you and they are mm-hmm. representing experience like you're having um, and giving you ideas and inspiration for how to enjoy the period. So they're the brands that have succeeded so much in this period. Yeah.
0: And were there any, I mean, maybe this is a negative thing, but were there any that really struggled during this time? What were the things that people weren't doing that maybe the, they weren't able to shift?
1: Well, I think that back that- we saw that a bit on the brand and the creator side mm-hmm. you new know, brands who were operationally challenged um they they had to focus i mean first on things like logistics so waitress definitely caused the activity they would typically do with us because they were quickly shifting to um you know online orders different, you know the um different stock levels in supermarkets and the feedback loop was was really really short and tight and they just said you know what we're actually over demand and so we're going to pause for a moment um, because our customers are getting information from our first-hand channels, our website, our socials. You know that that's the mode of communication. That makes total sense. And then you had brands who, if they didn't have a lot of their creative functions in house, um, yeah. relied heavily on on creative agencies. You know, a lot of them were pausing all work, all shoots for sort of three to six months, um, if approvals processes legals etc were really tough um and then obviously some key categories like restaurants um Mm -hmm. restaurants and hospitality we saw um you know initially start to talk about takeaway services but i think in general um as a category have struggled Um, and of course travel brands um you know they've paused campaigns and what happens is you see the flip side on you know for creators so creators who are you know, wanderlust, travel-based creators really had to change what they were doing. You know, you can't just post throwback content um, and have people lust for holidays for God. Um, Instead, they had to talk about, um, you know, what life is like them from home and a shift in experience. And I think the creators Mm -hmm. that took the moment to, again, authentically pivot, you know, that is honestly what people follow. Or, you know that's more, yeah you know fashion influences as well they're not out and about and you know on locations doing these incredible shots anymore um you know they had to change what they were doing and also they're probably not going to glam events where they're dressing no. up for the nines <laughs> the living room. again you, you know you saw it you saw it transform into um Get yeah, Zoom party outfit, and I'm doing a date night at home. And yeah, um, I've gotten really into loungewear, and this is my look, and things like yeah. that. And um, yeah, we saw the pivots on that side as well out of the ordinary.
0: And are you starting to see a recovery across the sectors?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, some of those key sectors have definitely come back with a lot of we're back in business, things yeah. are opening up type communication, which is fantastic. Um, but I think the businesses that have, or the sectors that have done well consistently throughout are things like consumer goods, um, mm-hmm. the CPG brands have done really well, um, and food and drink, you know, anything mm-hmm. that you can grab at the supermarket, anything that's kind of in the essentials, um, category, um, yeah. has done exceptionally well throughout this period. And, and I, I would say gained a lot of business because instead of maybe having a packed lunch because you're organized monday tuesday wednesday all of a sudden you know you're having a very different experience with food maybe you are cooking for your kids because there's no school dinners you know whatever it might be and brands have seen a lot of opportunity arise
0: and what about tribe have you had to i'm assuming most of you are working from home still like can you talk a little bit more about the setup and how how things have shifted
1: well, we've always been a bit of a mini multinational company. You know, we are yeah. started in Australia. We've got a team in Melbourne, in Sydney, um, a big team in the Philippines, as well as offices in London and New York recently. And of course, organisationally, every region went through different restrictions. But we've always been set up, very fortunately, to work across multiple time zones mm-hmm. because of that comes flexibility in hours. Um, and with flexibility in hours means that we are very outcomes focused versus, you know, input. You know, I'm not sat there watching uh, email volumes and meeting volumes, mm-hmm. things like that. I'm looking at, I'm looking at impact that that staff are having, and and really making sure that we're we're data driven um, in what we do. And, you know, people have the communication tools like Slack and Zoom that we've always worked with, so it's it's actually felt quite natural for us. I think if yeah. anything, we're just missing social side of interacting with your colleagues and um things like that but yeah it's we we we've pretty actively practiced gratitude within the business you know the things that you're grateful for today knowing we can't control tomorrow um Mm. and you know just always trying to weigh up the the pros and cons as much as possible and remember that there are you know there's a light to every
0: every shade it's quite hard isn't it to plan at the moment because I think things get thrown up in the air again are there things that you want to continue with the business that maybe you weren't doing prior to lockdown and and equally like you said getting back to seeing your colleagues what's what's your plan there if if at all
1: yeah I think because we're all kind of a bit displaced you know and people have moved out of London even to be with family we have to play that by year mm-hmm. um so we've implemented things like fortnightly surveys to, con- like, to continually have a pulse check and understanding of where people are at, um, how they've personally felt their productivity, ebb and flow. Do they have the yes. right tools? We invested in um, home setups for everybody because everyone was on a dining chair and yeah. um, you know, getting the <laughs> lower back pain. I see you nodding along there. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of gave everyone a, a home office allowance mm-hmm. to make sure that they had the proper comforts. You know, I did a lot of, organizing ubers from the office to people's homes with their monitors and whatever else they wanted to be properly set up and now i think it was definitely i never feel comfortable going back to the office again i'm working from home well and then i think as people have become more social in their own worlds um and they're moving a bit further away from the home whether it's traveling to a different suburb to see a friend you know whatever it might be the comfort levels are increasing and I think it'll probably land in a couple of days a week in an office. We, we work out of a WeWork. So that's already really flexible for everybody. And we just have to take it day by day. Um, And I think just making sure we've got a, a really good grip on employee wellbeing. We've done like a step challenge globally, which is a really good way. it, It sounds naff, but it literally got the whole company, you know, all different parts of the company, you know, interconnected you know it's not often i might talk to you know some of the, the dev team in melbourne we're on different time zones and you know we don't cross over in a detailed way so it's been great to kind of connect at the one-to-one level and not just at these sort of the all hands the meetings that are broadcast and communicated and so that's been a really good way to kind of have that feeling of, of connectedness and togetherness yeah. um, and also make sure that people are moving um, because mm-hmm. my average step count, I don't know about anyone else, but it had plummeted because of that incidental movement between meetings to office. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, maybe we work out and stuff, but the steps just no good. So we've what steps up. are you on? I'm like doing 15,000 a day. I'm really like, yeah, what? I just go for a long walk Just make sure there's one long walk involved. And I'm, I'm now sort of mentally carrying my phone everywhere I go to make sure I don't miss a step. Yeah.
0: Um, that's the only downside. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But, um, but yeah, it,
1: it, honestly that's been so good and it's, you know, real competitive spirit across the company every week yeah. we're announcing the different teams and um, there's a few people training for marathons. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of questioning whether or not it's fair, you know, to have a marathon trainer and, counting towards the steps but it's been great and we're actually extending it It was just a July thing we're going to extend it for the quarter because it's just got people so much happier um, and just reminding them to move and holding them accountable to it as a Mm -hmm. a group so yeah wellness has been a real key focus um, throughout the period
0: and what are the plans for Tribe for the future you still got the same plans in place or have they been kind of shifted at all
1: yeah I think one thing we did was was and this was sort of already in, in motion, but we we were definitely a very sort of open source platform where people could come and put a brief live. Um, and we're finding brands want to work with creators in a more meaningful way. And they're also working with us on a continuous basis. So yeah. we've tiered our options now for either working with us on a flexible one-off basis or subscribing to the platform, getting access to more advanced features. Uh, and what that's allowed us to do is... Flip our commercial model to be, you know, far smoother. Um, you know, based on recurring revenue, and it's going to allow us, um, I guess, more predictability and a different revenue model um, to attract a very different level of investment once we get to the to the next stage. It gives us more options, and it's been, I guess, that pivot has really helped us start to make a footprint in the states where we only just recently launched. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, attract people who are committed to influence marketing. They're not sort of dabbling and figuring it out. And with brands that are more committed, they become better behaviour in our marketplace. Creators are more satisfied because they work with brands that they love consistently. Yeah. Um, And there's just a better impact for the results that brands then get through influence marketing as well. So we've moved to, a, I guess, a a deeper, more partnerships-based focus And also providing those brands a lot more um, option with more advanced features and tools in our platform, which which is great um, in terms of general focus. But the one challenge I think we have is we've always landed in new markets and expanded based on thought leadership, profile building, um, events, networking, and those kind of Core sales components and brand building components in new markets has obviously been really challenged, mm. um, and so we are, you know, I guess it's shifting our marketing focus because I think a lot of people are getting maybe elements of Zoom fatigue. It's difficult to know the impact that you can have on a on a webinar or a series, but we did launch our own series called Marketers in Pajamas, yeah, um, which is you know which was hilarious, and we're in our second season of that. We've had you know, in, in season two, um, you know, Seth Godin uh, mm-hmm. joined us as a, as a guest and, you know, the chief brand officer of Amazon, Wayne Chiva and it, it's opened up some amazing conversations about how brands are, are pivoting their messaging and working with customers differently and the challenges that they've had. You know, initially the first series was really about reaction and this year finding is... I guess more about what we're terming slingshot, you know, how people come out of it, um, out of the initial I guess, shock to their business and shock to ways of working and consumer experience. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's been great for us. We've had to provide value at a really high level, you know, through content marketing um, and really make sure that we're building our brand as much as we can throughout this with consistent messaging, that cluttered kind of everyone is at a brand for budget, there's a lot of sales activity going on at the moment um, and that kind of relentless pursuit of budgets and briefs is probably not, it's not an approach that Tribe really kind of like or we find yeah. yields a great result. And so we've really moved to building brands at the top of the funnel, providing value to our customers um, and also trying to do that in a different way when it can't be face-to-face so yeah that's the one the one challenge we've we've overcome through um, less face-to-face and more uh, production of content that that is meaningful
0: and what have the learning points been from marketing in pajamas
1: one of the, the the learnings is definitely be that we're you know we're we're attracting a huge subscriber pool that are higher level executives in businesses than we would you know that then represent our typical user. You know, the user yeah. of our platform is probably a brand manager, a marketing manager, a digital marketing manager, someone who actually is the end user. Um, whereas the Markers in Pajamas series has really attracted, I guess, more C suite, um, marketing mm-hmm. executives and uh, marketing directors, people who look after teams and care more about the macro trends. Yeah, um, and so I guess that's not a bad thing at all. We now have a very different proposition to introduce tribe to them and they didn't Mm -hmm. sign up to to hear about influence marketing platforms specifically so you know to kind of nurture um, those people who have lent into our business is a very different approach and what we're going to do is try and create content that supports those guys to educate their team. Um, on more of the, the finer detail, the tactics around social media marketing. And so we've done series, what we've done is off a series of lunch and learns and that's working really well. So we're going to these directors and saying, we're happy to offer free training. for Your teams around influence marketing, around social media marketing, around TikTok, around regulation, around, you know, the trends we're seeing, sort of winners and losers in real time, um, in influence marketing and that. I think, you know, that's a completely new, a strand of content but what it does is take the subscribers at the higher level and pull us into a bit more relevance of people who actually represent our end user um, so that's been a really interesting learning and one we didn't expect.
0: We mentioned earlier that there's been change and that uh, there were lots of people who had the resources I guess or what had the in-house capabilities to pivot and they were the were the most successful you you kind of noted and one of the hardest hit that everybody was hearing about were charities and i know on our first call you you mentioned that tribe were able to support them in a different way how were tribe able to support smaller businesses charities the ones that maybe weren't set up to react as quickly as say that their larger counterparts
1: yeah for those types of businesses you know we did offer as much support as we could. So we got, we, we got rid of our setup fees for any small business that wanted to work with creators. And also we saw naturally in the marketplace, not directed by us, but creators being really generous of, mm-hmm. of wanting to support brands, whether they be local to them or charity campaigns. Um, so there were a ton of different charity campaigns that we saw supported in the app. Um, and for us, we're always happy to put them live, but you never know if any creators will respond to it kind of give up their space in their feed for free and it was fantastic to see that they they did and once we understood that we were able to do a campaign with the WHO at the beginning around washing your hands properly that changed into a a campaign around social distancing um, Mm -hmm. creating a lot of funny content about social distancing and why it's important Um, we did campaigns for the NHS um, around the clap for carers on Thursday nights We also did a campaign with the NHS, um, which was to turn everyone's Instagram feeds NHS blue, just to raise awareness for what their staff and and key workers were doing. And then, you know, I guess as lockdown um, and the pandemic started to rear its um, realities for everybody, we saw then a second wave of of charities set up. So there were specific charities around... um, disadvantaged children who were missing out on school dinners because schools were closed and how many Mm -hmm. meals there were. And, you know, everyone was kind of doing these tagging challenges, you know, run five, donate five, tag five. And we saw, you know, a real sweep of of those um, community based challenges go through the app as well. And I think there was a real spirit of of community and generosity, um, definitely within the first eight weeks of lockdown. Um, and I think as things are opening up, everyone's keen to, obviously again reflect the, the current experience, and that current experience seems to be a little bit more normal, a little bit more open, a little bit kind of back to business. Um, and creators are falling back into their the niches that they, you know, know and love that they were always, um, known for. But I think in in general, you know, creators always want to create. They always want to be saying something to their audience and. Our platform was really able to give brands the the connection point with those creators. To say, if it may, if it resonates with you, this is what we're trying to get out to audiences as well and creators. Yeah, yeah, all over it. I'll do it in my style, and so yeah, that's had a fantastic impact for, for mm-hmm. a ton of brands.
0: And it's quite a saturated market for creators. So, what have you noticed anything about the campaigns that have tended to have the most engagement and and who? who's been really successful as a creator
1: creators who can access a product or who already have it. So access was definitely a big um, factor. A lot of brands were, you know, happily sending product for creators to experience at home. But the brands that I guess or the campaigns that don't work so well are things that don't reflect reality. And you know, we, we always discourage, I guess, campaigns like that even going live, but it's asking creators to sort of say, do or represent things that, that mm-hmm. don't really resonate, I guess, which we don't, we just don't see a lot of, mostly because our platform is based on a creator responding to the campaign and actually submitting finished content. Is not a pre-negotiation between a creator and a brand. A creator really has to go, "Yep, yeah, I know what you want. I'll create the content and submit it back to yeah. you. And if the brand likes it, they buy it. And if they don't, they don't. So I think because of that, you see the, the brands that don't resonate, simply just don't get submissions to their campaigns. Um, mm. And yet it often be about the product not being accessible in some form or it not being authentic
0: to what yeah. you're actually experiencing. A big thank you to Lisa and Tribe for their time on today's podcast. If you want to find out more about the work Tribe are doing, I will link both Lisa's LinkedIn and Tribe's website in the show notes. There will also be a link to their video series, Marketers in Pyjamas, which is well worth a watch. Show notes can be found in the description box of this podcast. Thanks again to Lisa and we will see you next week for another episode of Life in Digital.